Hi, this is Joe Montana. This is Dak Prescott. Hey, this is Jason Kelsey, and you're listening to Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. I am Rob Motti, and welcome to the AP Pro Football Podcast. June has arrived, and that's an important date for NFL teams because they can now spread salary cap hits for any player traded or released over two seasons instead of accelerating the cap hit into this year. But more on that in a second. Our guest this week is former Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Atlanta Falcons star running back Warwick Dunn. Warwick has been doing tremendous things off the field for so many years since he was playing in the NFL. So stay tuned for that conversation. As I mentioned at the start, the calendar has turned to June. So the opportunity to see more big name players on the move is upon us. The Falcons are expected to deal Julio Jones at some point. The Eagles and Zach Ertz have been headed for a divorce now for several months. It's just a matter of when and whether it's a trade or if the Eagles just flat out release Zach Ertz, a three-time Pro Bowl tight end. Now also would be the time for the Green Bay Packers to be able to trade Aaron Rodgers, though I still can't see that happening unless Rodgers forces it by threatening to retire, not showing up entirely, sitting out the season or something that drastic. The Texans can't trade Deshaun Watson until his off-field issues are settled, but now that June 1st is here, it would be a lesser cap hit if they did so. So far, as of this recording, Julio is still a Falcon. Ertz is still an Eagle. No blockbuster deals have been made, but that can change any second. Warwick Dunn is a three-time Pro Bowl running back who played 12 seasons in the NFL, six with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, six with the Atlanta Falcons. He ran for nearly 11,000 yards. He caught more than 500 passes for a combined 64 touchdowns. Warwick's story, his journey is fascinating. He was the oldest of six and they had a single mother, Betty Smothers, and Betty was a police officer until January 7, 1993, when she was she was ambushed and killed while escorting a businesswoman to make a night deposit. Warwick was only 18 years old at the time, but he raised his siblings and he went on to college, did tremendous things, was drafted in the first round by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And as a rookie for the Bucs, Warwick founded the Homes for the Holidays program because he wanted to fulfill his mother's dream of home ownership for single-parent families, and since that time, he has helped 189 homeowners and 512 dependents in 24 different markets. This month in June, Warwick has two special events. On June 10, 6.30 p.m., Warwick Dunn Charities Foundation is going to host its Juneteenth celebration. It's a night with Warwick Dunn Charities, and Warwick and NFL Network Steve Weich, they're going to host an engaging dialogue surrounding diversity and inclusion while featuring guest appearances from several top NFL stars. And then on June 25th, Warwick Dunn Charities will host a wine, dine, and cigars with celebrities. And that's going to be hosted by Sage Steele and several others. There's going to be 25 NFL players and celebrities in attendance. It's an exclusive experience limited to 200 guests. I sat down with Warwick. We talked all about that and much more. You can get more information. Here is my conversation with Warwick Dunn. 
Work, as a former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, how excited were you to see them win the Super Bowl and all the success that they've had? Yeah, well, no, I, you know, I, I'm not going to pull against the Bucs. Uh, it's an organization I played for for uh, six years, so I was pulling for them. Um, I was hoping that they would bring a, a championship to the city of uh, Tampa and the, that Tampa Bay community. So I was pulling for them. I, it's no hard feelings. And, and yeah, I, I get hit all the time about, <laughs> uh, hey, how was that Super Bowl? This is that's like, well, I left and went to Atlanta. So it's a stinger every once in a while to uh, have individuals thinking that I won a Super Bowl when I didn't. So it's all good, though. Well, you did end up finishing your career there. You went back, so there couldn't have been any hard feelings, right? You finished your career in, in Tampa the last the last season. Yeah, it's no, no hard feelings at all. Uh, it's a great organization. Um, you know, I grew up a lot in Atlanta, and my early years, Tampa was you really set the foundation for me. Um, my younger brothers and sisters moved in with me uh, when I was there, so I had a lot on my shoulders, and and I just really grew up and matured. You know, I think much more in Atlanta just because, you know, I started going to counseling and all those things that really just helped me get that weight off my shoulders and expand. And uh, Tampa is 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 one of my homes. It's my second, you know, my sec- third home, you know, after Baton Rouge, Tallahassee, Tampa. So I go back and forth. This is still part of my uh, obviously my history and my life. It's an important city that was a part of my growth and, and opportunity. So I'm be forever be grateful. Well, Warwick, tell me a little bit about your journey to the NFL. You, you mentioned your your siblings. You're the oldest of six. Uh, you had single mother, Betty Smothers, who was a police officer who was killed when you were 18. How did you deal with that, go to school, develop into an NFL talent prospect in college, and at the same time uh, be responsible for your siblings? Well, I, I can tell you um, when I lost my mom, I wasn't focused on football. It was nothing. I was focused more on my brothers and sisters and family. And that was really my driving force. It wasn't to play in the National Football League. You know, I wanted to set the example. You go to college and have that opportunity, you need to get a degree. So that was important for me. Uh, I just think over the years, talent-wise, I developed at an early age. And I just think I started to understand and learn a lot about the game. And, you know, when I went to college, I tell you, I I never thought about playing professional football. I I didn't think I was big enough and I didn't realize I can play at the next level until after my junior year when everyone thought I was leaving. But, you know, during those times, my focus was family, my brothers and sisters. I mean, they were the most important thing. You know, when my mom passed, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was there for them. So it wasn't about work anymore. It was about making sure that, you know, they had a roof over their head that I was going to support them and take care of them. And that was really more my driving force to make sure I can take care of my five younger brothers and sisters. How instrumental were men like Bobby Bowden and, and Tony Dungy for you for you early on in that process as you're trying to navigate through all of those difficulties and everything that you were going through? Well, they were father figures, uh, men that I looked up to that uh during specific times in my life that I really relied on. Uh, For an example, at Florida State, I used to go to Coach Bowden's office almost like once a week and just talk to him about uh, family, you know, uh, things that, you know, I was dealing with, you know, trying to help and and raise kids from afar (laughs) uh, in Tallahassee back in Baton Rouge. And he just gave me examples. He was someone that I can rely on. And and, uh, I I took that information. I made decisions and, 
you know, he really helped me. He was always there for me. Door was always open. And when I got drafted with Coach Dungey, him and his, his wife, um, his family, they were there for me as well. I mean, you know, my second year, a lot of people don't know this. I moved the youngest three in with me. So I got I have to find a school. I'm going to PTA meetings. I'm going to, you know, games on Friday nights and throughout the week. And it was so much pressure that I had to make sure they get to school, get home, do homework, cook dinner. You know, I, I was in the, you know, I had so much stress um, my second year. And this happened in my second year that I, I relied on Coach Dungeon, his wife, uh, to really help me through that journey. And uh, I credited his wife, Lauren, that she was really there to help time of need because and trying to be, a, you know, in their guidance and their assistance and their help. So and you have to rely on. Um, a lot of friends for that. Warwick, as you are going through all of that as a young player and your siblings, three of them are moving in with you and you're taking care of all, yet you still were able to launch the Warwick Dunn charities at the end of your first season, at the end of a rookie year. That's a, that's a big time task to do. What inspired you to do that, to launch that, to start, moving into that area of, of giving. Uh, I was challenged by Coach Dungy to uh, be a part of the community, give back, care about your neighbor. And, you know, I tried to think of things that I can really relate to and be passionate about. And I thought about my mom and the dream that she had and what she wanted. And, you know, that first year, I decided to help three single moms uh, that first that uh, Tuesday uh, before Thanksgiving to become first time homeowners. Cause I knew my mom, she never could save up money for a down payment. We, and we wouldn't have been able to fully furnish a home. So I wanted to help other families who had the same issues that my mom had. So for me, it's been growth. It's been a great opportunity. And coach Dungy, I'll wait to him for challenging all the rookies to get involved and give back and care about their community. Or can you tell me what your your charities are doing now to address the issues that minorities are still facing today in regards to equality and, and oppression in so many areas from education to employment to financial literacy and policing and, and home ownership as you've really taken on as a challenge to address? Well, uh, for me, I think it starts really with housing. We can address a lot of the issues, but if we can really start things off by addressing housing. Uh, that's the quickest way to build wealth in this country for families, but it's also having stability creates an opportunity for kids to live a better and stable life, perform better in school. They're much, you know, uh, you know, they tend to want to thrive and just be better people overall. But having a stable housing is, is, is key to that. But over the years, we've transitioned and not just focusing on having housing, but we also have these other tentacles that we have to help kids and families on. And that's financial literacy. So we have a program now that's called Count on Your Future. We really try to educate kids on uh, not necessarily just checks and balances, but, you know, spend your money on need and not always the things that you want. You could save up for that. But we also try to incentivize them, too, to start a savings account. And we will match them up to $500 on a savings account. Do that if they uh, if they if they want to participate. So we really try to incentivize them to do the right things with their dollars and have financial responsibilities early on so they understand the value of the dollar as they get older. 
and, and we also have a program because all the food insecurities that, that go on that, that are in this country, you have 35 million Americans that are in uh, have food insecurities, food deserts or, you know, they have a lot of issues providing healthy and safe meals for their families. And if we can uh, help families with that, and we've tried to do that through our program Sculpt, where we try to teach families cook quick and healthy meals, affordable meals. But also we got to the point that we're trying to help them grow their own vegetable uh, garden in their backyard, build a vegetable box, grow their own vegetables in the backyard. So now they're they have healthy uh, opportunity to, you know, grow tomatoes and those things in their backyard to really help them. But we try to incentivize them to use coupons. You know, we really just trying to holistically support the family through their journey of home ownership. And there's so many issues that's dealing with that. And just the inequalities that families face when uh, when it comes to home ownership, the opportunity to help advance uh their families through with education. When you live in low-income communities, usually the schools are not high-performing schools. They just don't have the same resources and access to healthcare and so forth in these, you know, just low-income, moderate communities. And, you know, for me, it's really supporting those families and those individuals along that journey of ownership, but also pushing them to do their part. You know, we don't give handouts. What we do is we really assist families and give them a hand up. So if you do your part, we're going to do our part to support you. And I think it's important that uh, we don't forget about our neighbor. One person successful, hey, you can reach back and, and really give a helping hand, but that person has to do their part to help support themselves through their journey because we've all worked hard. We're all committed, but you have to do your part. And we try to hold people accountable um, You know, anytime we do anything for them. Warwick Dunn Charities are hosting two events in June. You have the Juneteenth celebration on June 10. Why is it important for you to host this? It's a new event, I know, for you guys. Well, it's important. Uh, I know June 10th uh, is uh, Steve Weiss and I are going to have a conversation just about uh, diversity and inclusion. You know, we want to be able to educate companies uh, on the topic, but also give them solutions. I just think, you know, the biggest step towards that, you know, we could, you know, the biggest step towards that for me, it would be starting a dialogue. A lot of times people don't want to talk about a lot of the issues, but you have to be open and, and honest and have a, a, a open dialogue about the issues, but then come with how can we solve these problems and make you know, diversity and inclusion and cooperation equal for all and not just for the upper echelon. So we're really going to push that. And I know um, on that event is June 10th. So we have one June 25th, where it's really uh, for work done charities, wine, dine and cigars, where now we're going to have a bunch of celebrities. I I have, you know, great host, uh, Say Still, Mike Hill um, and, and Roe Parrish from TNT Sports, you know, I have those individuals going to be co-hosting the event with me and we're just going to have a lot of celebrities, but we try to incentivize companies to take part in this as well. Uh, they're also going to have a, a blackjack room, a trivia room, you know, uh, we're 
planning to have a cigar roller. So we're trying to, you know, make this easy and painless as possible. You can do it from your home. We really want corporations to uh, be a part of this and really understand the importance of community and people. Uh, we, we do have a lot of uh, corporate partners at the, at the moment, uh, Hoffman Financial, uh, Accord Care, PNC Bank, RGT Wealth uh, Advisors, uh, and the Owens, so, uh, and Open Sesame. So we, we're there, we're supporting, and, and you know, we're pushing people to be involved uh, to give back and take part in this. And what we would do is that we would also provide a, a gift box that we would ship a gift box to a participants' home so they can actually sit at home and enjoy opportunity to mingle with a lot of great celebrities. So I have Chris Tucker right now, Neo. I have um, uh, Gary Sheffield. So I you know, uh, Richard Dent, Marcus Allen, have a lot of these guys that are involved that are committed to uh, being a part of it, you know, Rondé Barber and so forth. So we're growing our list of individuals who are going to participate and they can go and mingle and, and move around to different rooms to uh, help uh, definitely engage with us and, and take part in the event. So it's a lot of bantering, pr- probably just going to go back and forth when you have athletes that are competing. <laughs> well, yeah, I see I see a lot. Of, and there's some good talkers in there, too. I anticipate maybe a little bit of uh, Rondé Barber uh, trash talking anybody. I, I don't know what that's going to look like. So who are you excited <laughs> to see out there? Well, I, you know, for me, I think uh, John Randall, I used to always play against John Randall all the time. He's going to participate. So he's someone uh, that probably would talk trash on the low. You just <laughs> never know. Uh, but I, we're also going to uh, Marcus Allen. And when I came in, Marcus was at the end and he used to try to mentor me. So, you know, now today it's just uh, it's good to have him around and support. And I, and I know Gary Sheffield and I have other guys who are going to come on board as well that, you know, we're all competitive athletes like to compete. And when you compete, you talk a lot of trash. So it's a lot of banter that goes back and forth. So, uh, I'm just, you know, for me, I'm just happy these guys are supporting. And, you know, I have currently also Michael Jenkins who, you know, he's, in the NFL right now. So I can probably banter him a little bit about, I don't know if you would tackle me today, if we were playing against each other, I would probably make you miss. So that, you know, but he's a talented safety that I would have to make miss an open field, but I'm sure I would tell him I would win that. I would win that battle for sure. But you know, it's going to be fun. No, no doubt. Marcus Allen, you said mentored you. Are there any younger guys that you reach out to or reach out to you nowadays in the game that look to you for guidance and mentorship, any running backs? Well, a lot of guys today, uh, they don't really uh, reach out. You know, I've, I've had developed some relationships uh, with, you know, definitely guys who went to Florida State, um, someone who plays here in Atlanta. Uh, I would obviously talk with them and, and try to give them pointers and so forth. But, you know, I try not to force myself on new people. Uh, I really just try to, uh, uh, you know, let them come to me and provide guidance when, when asked for, if they ask, I would give you the information, but I'm not going to force myself. And today the game is different. The kids are a lot different, you know, it's more instant gratification or they know what to do. They feel like they know what to do, but I, you know, I'm a student of the game and I, you know, when I watch football, it's a lot different than I'm sitting with a friend watching it. I'm, I'm looking at, you know, the, 
didn't take the right step or, you know, this route was too short. You know, I'm just looking at all the technical things because for me, that's what the game was about. If you're technically sound, you practice your craft, you know, you're going to you can beat people who are quicker than you and faster than you just because of the fundamentals of the game. Last one for you. What would you say to Julio Jones? There's obviously talk about him wanting out of Atlanta. You know what it's like when if if the grass is greener somewhere else. So what would you say to him if he reached out to you? Well, I I mean, I would guide Julio. You have to do what's in your best interest. You know, this is a business and, um, you know, you can't take it personal. You know, Julio's a great player, but I would always tell him you have to do what's in your best interest. Um, Put your family first. I mean, the teams, they're going to do and make business decisions. That's just a part of it. And he has to do what's in his best interest, he feels like. And I know the Falcons are going to do what's in their best interest. So time will tell what really happens. But Julio's a great player. He's been great for years. You know, I know that uh, he just wants to win. I think, you know, all athletes, they want to take that next step forward and win. So, uh, you know, whatever happens, happens. But uh, he's a great player, and I'm, I'm happy that I've, you know, gotten a chance to get to know him a little bit. Warwick, always a pleasure to talk to you, man. And everything you do is tremendous. Great work, especially with the homes for, for everyone. So thank you for all that you do and appreciate you spending some time with me. No, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Time for some final thoughts. The NFL on Wednesday pledged to halt the use of race norming in the $1 billion settlement of brain injury claims and to review past scores for any potential race bias. So race norming, in case you aren't familiar with the term, and I know a lot of people aren't, I wasn't, that assumed that black players started out with lower cognitive function and the practice of race norming made it harder for black retired players to show a deficit and qualify for an award. The standards were created in the 90s in hopes of offering more appropriate treatment to dementia patients, but critics faulted the way they were used to determine payouts in the NFL's concussion case. Race norming. No, seriously. How is that ever a thing? Long overdue to eliminate it, that's for sure. That's it for this week. Thank you to Warwick Dunn. Please be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your pods. Share, review, tell a friend. Until next week, I'm Rob Motti reminding you, make a difference. Be a blessing. Mm-hmm.